Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The final from Minute Maid Park in Houston. It's the Indians 5, the Houston Astros 4. The Indians salvage the last game of the series. And it ties Terry Francona with Mike Hargrove with 721 wins uh, for second place all time in Indians franchise history. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. Well, it's probably going to be a short episode because I have a head cold and I have no idea how long my voice is going to hold out for, but let's get into the storylines here. And the first storyline is look at this freaking lineup. Look at this lineup. The Indians are dealing with more injuries than normal. I guess uh, a few added on injuries. Uh, Jose Ramirez's elbow is still bothering him. Bobby Bradley's lower back is bothering him, but for some reason it bothers him throwing. It doesn't bother him swinging. And you would think swinging a baseball bat would uh, not feel good, but apparently uh, he was okay doing that. Uh, Now he went over three yesterday with uh, a walk, he didn't strike out yesterday, so that's good. He actually grounded out to the right side three times. Uh, one time deep into the shift to Jose Altuve, and then twice to first base. So uh, it was good to see him cut down on the strikeouts. But he had to DH last night, which meant Fermil Reyes had to move into right field last night, which meant we needed a first baseman. And because Garza threw you know over three innings yesterday... Uh, they decided to, you know, they an option him down to triple A easily, and they brought back Yu Chang. So Yu Chang plays first base last night, and then Ernie Clement gets to start at third base in place of Jose Ramirez. So this is the lineup you're looking at with Bradley Zimmer leading off again, Cesar Hernandez hitting third again, Oscar Mercado up at sixth, and then Chang and Clement at eight nine. Uh, Roberto Perez doing the catching, hitting seventh last night. So. It was kind of a bizarre lineup last night. And guess what? It worked. It freaking worked. The Indians won the game. They actually they actually battled with the Astros all night. That win probability line was dancing all around the middle, uh, bouncing back and forth between both teams. Because it was a heck of a baseball game last night. A little bit of a slugfest back and forth. So how did the Indians offense do all their scoring? Well, I mean, it felt like a little bit of a struggle to get things going at first. They don't really do anything the first time through the lineup. It wouldn't be until the third inning when Yu Chang would lead things off with a single. That's right. The first run of the game was scored by Yu Chang. It would be his only hit on the day, but it'd bring in a run. He would strike out three times after that, but it would bring in a run this time. So he singles. Ernie Clement lays down a bunt, moves him up to second. It goes as a sack bunt. Bradley Zimmer would walk behind him. Bradley Zimmer from that leadoff spot was on base twice. He had a hit and a walk again. So, uh, I mean, that's good to see, a double and a walk. So we talk about it. Uh, We talked about it when Cesar Hernandez was leading off. You know, Cesar Hernandez said this in 2020, that his goal was to be on base twice a game. And we kind of have held them to the held him to that in the leadoff spot. Now I'm holding Bradley Zimmer to that. Now that he's in the leadoff spot, and he was he was on base twice yesterday. Ahmed Rosario would strike out with runners on first and second and one down. That would be a common theme. And then Cesar Hernandez would deliver the double. 
I believe it was down the left field line, if I remember correctly, and it would bring in Yu Cheng to score. It would leave runners on second and third, however, and Fermil Reyes would strike out to end that threat. And Fermil Reyes was not happy about striking out in that situation because he knows he could have delivered some more runs there. That at bat from Cesar Hernandez where he doubled was impressive. He went 10 pitches with Lance McCullers Jr. Ends up fouling off one, two, three, four, five, six pitches in a row. And McCullers is throwing them everything here. Slider, curve, slider, slider, sinker, slider. And he is just fouling everything off. Finally gets a changeup uh, down and away. And that's the one he's able to shoot in the left field for the double. So it was a really, really good at bat from Cesar Hernandez in that situation. And then the strikeout to Reyes uh, threw him a ton of sliders. Six, five of the six pitches were sliders. Finally throws him a slider in the zone. A, hit, a very hittable slider. And he swings through it to uh, end that at bat. Uh, so yeah, so it was... Uh, it was a tough at-bat for Fermil Reyes there. I know he wanted to deliver in that situation. Uh, the Astros would go on to tie things up in the fourth inning. Jose Altuve again. Are you kidding me? Jose Altuve with another home run. That's really the second storyline of this game is that it felt like Altuve was just locked in all series against the Indians. Now, he actually didn't do much in the first game. He was only one for four, didn't score, didn't drive in any runs or anything like that. But in the next two games, he has three home runs and a double. He goes two for four uh, on Tuesday night with two home runs, two solo home runs. And then on uh, yesterday, on Wednesday night, he goes again two for four. This time it's a homer and a double, two RBIs and two runs scored. Jose Altuve could not be stopped. All right, but the Indians would answer back. Actually, Kyle Tucker, before that, Kyle Tucker would homer, and the Astros would take the lead. Now, again, these are solo home runs, so we can live with it a little bit, right? We can live with it. Eli Morgan is known for being aggressive, for attacking hitters. We can live with a couple of these home runs, and we'll get into that more when we talk about Eli Morgan, but the point is that the Astros had taken the lead now. And, I mean, it would have been very easy for the Indians to tuck their tails and, you know, come crawling back to Cleveland, going, look, the Astros are just out of our league. But they fought back. Fermil Reyes gets a little revenge for his strikeout earlier. He singles to lead off the inning 110.9 miles per hour. I believe that was the hardest hit ball of the entire day. Bobby Bradley would walk behind him. Oscar Mercado would single. Pretty sharply, 97.9 mile per hour exit velocity. Fermil Reyes cannot go anywhere but third base. Uh, no chance. Absolutely nobody would have been able to score on that one. Bradley Zimmer, Ahmed Rosario, nobody was scoring on that one. And then this is where things just get crazy. So, again, we've got this ridiculous lineup in here, and it's very thin. It's a very thin lineup. It's, you know, most of your power stacked at the top. And uh, Roberto Perez would strike out with the bases loaded. Brings up Yu Chang, gives Yu Chang a chance. He would strike out with the bases loaded. And you're thinking to yourself, no, come on. Come on, this can't be happening. We loaded the bases. We're about to get this run back at least. Like somebody, somebody has to be able to deliver. And then Ernie Clement steps up to the plate. 
Now let's go to this matchup here because I would love to see what McCullers did to Ernie Clement here. It actually isn't McCullers at this point. When McCullers loaded the bases, they brought in Brian Abreu. So it was Abreu who struck out Perez and Chang, and it's Abreu who faced Ernie Clement. And it was the first pitch. I did not even realize it was the very first pitch. He throws him a slider in the zone, and Clement cracks it. 100 mile per hour exit velocity, 23 degree launch angle, 386 feet off the wall in left field. Just like in Cleveland, they have a pretty high wall out there in left field in Houston. It's a double off the wall, and it clears the bases. It's a good thing Oscar Mercado was the one up first. Because if you flip that around, I don't think Fermil Reyes is scoring. But Oscar Mercado, I mean, not a blazing speed guy, but very athletic, very quick. And he's able to score from first base and clear the bases for the Indians. Give the Indians a 4-2 to two lead, and they would need it because... We would give it right back in the bottom of the sixth inning. Bottom of the sixth inning, the Astros would score two more runs on back-to-back doubles uh, from uh, Maldonado in the nine spot and then Altuve leading off. Brantley would ground out to move Altuve to third, and Gurriel would single through an infield that was brought in to score and tie the game. And you're thinking, come on. Come, you cannot give that back. How can you... You just had this huge bases-clearing double from Ernie Clement. How can you give that back? Well, Jose uh, Cesar Hernandez would prove to be the hero of the day because with the game tied in the seventh inning and one out, Cesar Hernandez, home run, a huge blast, 105.3 mile per hour exit velocity, 26-degree launch angle, 425 feet out to right field, a huge home run to give the Indians the lead and give the Indians the win. That would be it. That would give the Indians the win. And the bullpen would shut it down from there. Uh, it would be Maton coming in, Shaw coming in. Shaw was the one who gave up the double to Altuve. And Shaw was the one who gave up that tying run. Uh, Maton would come in, Classe would come in, and Karinczak would come in and shut them down. Maton gave up a hit but had a strikeout. Klasse and Karinczak, no strikeouts for these guys, but they did it on uh, nine pitches for Klasse and five pitches for Karinczak. So Houston being very aggressive and very foolish, and Cleveland ends up with the win. So this makeshift offense pulls it together. I mean, that is why they play the games, right? On paper, this looks like a no-doubt-about-it win for Houston, but this Cleveland offense pulls it together in some big heroic moments uh, for Cesar Hernandez and for Ernie Clement in this one. And there were a ton of guys who were struggling and left guys on base. Ahmed Rosario struck out three times. He left four guys on base. Fermil Reyes struck out twice. He left three guys on base. Roberto Perez struck out twice. He left three guys on base. Yu Chang struck out three times. He left four guys on base. So there were plenty of guys who had a chance to be hero it just turns out that Ernie Clement, it was his day. Cesar Hernandez, it was his day. And uh, they were able to deliver. So that is the big storyline there. That even, even with the chips you know, against us, even with everything pointing to us losing, the Indians were able to scratch out a win against Houston. And, you know, I wasn't sure. Houston has 
obviously dominated us this season. They are now they were finished the season series six and one against us. If you remember, they swept us in a four game set in Cleveland, and it felt like that was coming again. Luckily, we salvaged one win against them. Uh, I wasn't sure, you know, Houston since they've had this big turnaround. I know they swept us in the playoffs, but have they really dominated the Cleveland Indians recently? And to be honest with you, it hasn't been uh, it hasn't been in that over the top dominant. Uh, I guess in the last three seasons, yes, obviously twenty twenty doesn't count. In twenty nineteen, we were three and four against them, so we split. Uh, we split a series in Houston in 2019, two and two. They beat us in Cleveland two to one uh, in the series. Uh, in 2018, we were three and seven against them. We played a ton of game against, games against them in 2018. Uh, I don't know if that includes the playoffs. I'm guessing that includes the playoffs. I'm guessing that normally that would normally be only seven games played against them, but we got up to 10 because of the three playoff games where they swept us. Uh, and then 2017, we were 5-1 and one against them. So, uh, yeah, so it hasn't been total domination on Houston's part. I guess you could say in the last three years. In the last three years, we would be 7 and, let's see here, 13-17. 7-17 against them, including the playoffs in the last three played seasons, I guess four years technically going back to 2018. So yeah, Houston has kind of had our number, but they've kind of had everybody's number. They're really good. By the way, that data comes from a site called mcubed.net, which apparently pulls data from RetroSheet and uh, compiles these series records between teams. So it's pretty cool. I mean, uh, I could tell you that for the 2020s, we're now one and six. For the 2010s against Houston, we actually are beat them in the 2010s. We were 31 and 23 against them. Uh, in the 2000s, we were three and three against them. Remember, they were a National League team, and in the 90s, we were four and five against them. So for a while, they were a National League team. We barely saw them except for interleague play. Uh, so yeah, so mcubed.net. So if you want to look at the series records, compare records between teams and stuff like that, this is a cool place to look that up. So the other storyline of the game, obviously I'll stopping Altuve. We weren't able to do that, but we did stop Michael Brantley. We made Michael Brantley 0 for 4 on the day, which is really hard to do. Brantley's hitting 331 on the season. Uh, and then the final storyline, Eli Morgan. Eli Morgan, there is a brick wall at the sixth inning, at the start of the sixth inning, that Eli Morgan absolutely cannot get through. His last five starts have all ended after five innings. Now, sometimes he gets through that fifth inning, and that's it. He hits the showers. Sometimes he comes out for the sixth, like he did here, gives up a double to start that inning, and then Terry Francona immediately goes to the bullpen. So the poor guy... Just cannot get past five innings. Now, he only threw 77 pinches. I mean, Francona could have left him in there and let him battle. I guess Francona's idea was, let's not make the young man suffer any more than he has to. If that run does come into the score, we still have the lead at 4-3. He's still in line for the win. Now, what he wouldn't know is that Shaw would give up another hit and another double, 
and would end up giving up a run himself, which would mean that Eli Morgan would be out of the decision. Shaw actually ends up with the old blown save win on the day. Uh, not a uh, not a stat most relievers want on the record. Uh, so yeah, so he takes Eli Morgan out of the decision, but Morgan just cannot get past that fifth inning. Now, it's not a terrible line for Morgan. He goes five innings pitch, three hits, three earned runs, no walks, and five strikeouts with the two solo home runs allowed. He only allows five hard-hit balls on the day. So it's really not a bad start for Eli Morgan, and he was absolutely attacking the right edge of the plate. Most of his pitches, I would say over 80% of his pitches here, are from the middle of the plate to the right. So to the right edge of the plate. So he was pulling a slider across. He was attacking with a fastball out there. Uh, he even threw the curveball out there. The changeup was the only one that was really breaking back into the left. The changeup was the only one he was throwing, and he was keeping the changeup down. We talked about this with McKenzie yesterday where he couldn't get those pitches down, right? The mechanics were failing him a little bit. Morgan was keeping that changeup down, attacking with the fastball, attacking with the slider even, but keeping the changeup down. And the strikeouts, it's interesting to see here. No strikeouts from the changeup. It's three fastballs up in the zone, and it's two sliders, including one incredibly away that Carlos Correa chased on a 1-2 count. Correa cannot lay off that slider sweeping away from him. Um, So, yeah, so uh, I believe uh, JC Mejia got him twice on sliders out there. And now another one from Eli Morgan. So they're all swinging strikes, meaning Houston was being very, very aggressive. Now the two home runs that he gave up, those are different situations. One was a really high. Uh, it was in the strike zone, in the top right corner of the strike zone to Altuve. That is a high outside fastball that Altuve turned on. So, uh, yeah, that is interesting there. And then the changeup to uh, Kyle Tucker. This, he just leaves a changeup in the zone. It's at the knees. It's at the thighs, just above the knees. But it's right down the middle, and Tucker's able to go down and get that. We've seen left-handers that are good low-ball hitters, right? We've seen that in Chisenhall. We saw that in Tyler Naquin. I guess Kyle Tucker must be one of those guys because he goes down and gets this changeup and absolutely smokes it 104.9 into the seats in right field. So those are the two home runs that Eli Morgan gave up. Let's go over to the player breakdown. Let's see what those CSW numbers look like. On the fastball, it was okay, 29%. They swung a lot. 21 swings, 5 whiffs, 6 called strikes. He was saved by 11 foul balls on that forcing fastball, and he threw it the most, threw it 38 times. Threw the changeup and the slider 17 times. Uh, the slider was actually much more effective when it comes to CSW. They put a couple of changeups in play. They put five changeups in play, only fouled off three, only got two called for strikes, a nine swings, only one whiff on the changeup. So the changeup was not working that well for Eli Morgan yesterday. The slider, however, six swings, two whiffs, five called strikes on the slider. It's good for a 41% CSW on that pitch. They only put two in play. Uh, the curveball... Didn't get any whiffs on the curveball. Did get one called strike. Only threw it five times. So it's a total 29% CSW on the day for Eli Morgan. And I got to say, it's a pretty good start. It's a pretty good start for Eli Morgan. Once again, proving 
uh, proving how serviceable of a rookie he can be. I, I think of all the rookies so far, he's proven to be the most serviceable. When uh, when Bieber comes back, when Savali comes back, I think Morgan has carved out a spot for himself in this rotation as the fourth, uh, probably the fifth guy behind Quantrill in this rotation. Uh, McKenzie and Henches and JC Mejia still have some things to work on. I like Mejia's stuff. Uh, his raw stuff is obviously pops a little more than Eli Morgan's does, but Eli Morgan is much more aggressive, throwing strikes, limiting walks, and seems like the craftier pitcher of the two right now. So when we come back to full strength, and it's going to happen, Bieber, Bieber took some throws. Uh, it's coming. It's you know We're working our way towards it. I could see Eli Morgan sticking as that fifth pitcher. So that's all my storylines I got going on. Um, I listened to that YouTube broadcast, uh, that Rays game versus the Orioles, the all-female, the all-woman broadcast. And I got to tell you, they did a great job. They did an absolute fantastic job. There was no, there was nothing. It was a baseball game. They they said it up top in the pregame show. They've all been doing this for years. They're all very professional at what they do. And I got to be honest, didn't change the broadcast at all for me. They did a fantastic job calling that game. I watched like five or so innings. I told you I knew how it was going to end. Uh, Tampa Bay beat up on them pretty good. The only difference, the only thing is that Sarah Langs, who was doing the color commentary, Instead of being an ex-ball player and coming at it from that perspective of an ex-ball player, she is a huge baseball nerd. And I say that as a huge compliment. She is a baseball nerd. And so uh, a lot more detailed stack cast type information coming from her uh, as opposed to someone else doing color commentary. Even if they were you know, a former softball player or something like that, giving perspective of battling on the field. Uh, Sarah brought uh, some perspective of some of the StatCast stuff and some of this advanced information and sprint, sprint speed and launch angles and things like that. So it was that was a unique twist to the broadcast. So that was fun. Uh, that was cool to listen to. Uh, and other big news, it sounds like your mean Mercedes, the, the uh, former power hitter for the White Sox who got sent down to AAA, um, it sounds like he's retiring. And uh, I know someone reached out to me on Twitter and asked me about this. Uh, frequent, frequent tweeter, rclark333, uh, Clark asked about him. He said, what do you think the rub is against Mercedes? The guy's bounced around the league his whole life. He's sent down with a 270 average, and now he's threatening to retire. Um, so what's going on with him? Well, to be honest with you here, Clark, uh, he started the season off really strong, like hit 400 for the month of April. But in May, it dropped off a ton. In June, it really fell off. He was hitting like 170-something, I think, in June. It really fell off in June for him. And he went down to the A. He was hitting okay in AAA. I think he was hitting over 300 in A, But clearly bouncing around, uh, you know, being sent down, knowing what he could do against AAA pitching and knowing that he was struggling to do that against Major League pitching, who knows why he decided to hang it up, if it's official that he's hanging it up. But that is someone, uh, another blow to the Chicago White Sox who might be getting some guys back healthy soon, but have definitely just 
like struggled every time something looks like it's working for the White Sox. Uh, something comes up to you know nip it in the butt to to you know whether an injury or all of a sudden a guy goes into a prolonged slump. Uh, the White Sox keep churning out wins, but they keep churning through players at the same time. So it'll be interesting to see what type of team is left on the field for the White Sox when it comes time for the playoffs to start, right? Are they going to be one of those dominant teams in the American League? Or are they going to basically limp their way into the playoffs and get bounced in the first round? So uh, that'll be something we're keeping an eye on because obviously we're chasing them. They have a huge lead over us right now, but I mean, we're chasing them. Let's see what the, you know, we, we staved off the 500 line a little bit longer. We're at 48 and 45. We're eight and a half back of the White Sox right now. So, I mean, that seems like a huge margin to climb. We do face them eight more times, though. So, we'll see what happens. Let's just keep focusing on what we can control. We lost the series in Houston, but we salvaged the last game. Now, we got another tough test with Tampa Bay coming home. Tampa Bay is good. But we're coming back to Cleveland. It's a four-game set. We're testing ourselves against some of the best in baseball right now when it comes to Oakland, Houston, and Tampa Bay. So, Tampa Bay obviously had our number uh, when we faced them down south in Florida. Let's see what we could do being back in Cleveland. Uh, Kicking off that series tonight, it's a 7 o'clock start. It's going to be Patino for Tampa Bay going against Quantrill for the Indians. So that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. I guess it wasn't that short of an episode after all. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.